Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Bucks play the Carolina Panthers in Charlotte tonight on Thursday Night Football. Chances are I'm en route as you listen to this podcast. One of these teams in the NFC South could very likely be 0-2, barring a tie, at the end of this evening and already at the bottom of the NFC South. So we'll break down that game. We also have Times College football writer Matt Baker going to get you ready for a weekend of college football on this, I guess you'd call it a Football Thursday edition of Sports State Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstek. Hey, uh, folks, if you're like me, it's still hot outside. That means your air's running all the time. That means your electric bill is pretty out of control. Well, if you want to save 90 to 95% off your electric bill, listen to me now. May Electric Solar. They're a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar has the safest solar available. They don't use high voltage like other companies. And they have a 25-year warranty on all their equipment and labor they have a full showroom that's open weekdays. You can see all their products. Now, May Electric Solar has been around for 12 years. They've earned a great reputation with their customers and peers. There's many other solar companies imitating them and trying to use their great name. But remember, they don't use subcontractors, and they do not subcontract for any other company and any other way. So everyone knows it has to be May all the way. Let's stop the insanity of these out-of-control electric bills and start saving money now. Call May Electric Solar at 727 819 2862. And if you call right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit through 2019. So just by changing to solar energy, call the real May Electric at 727-819-2862. All right, Steve. So the Buccaneers, not much uh, time in between games. Of course, a disappointing loss on Sunday. Maybe it's a good thing that they turned around and get to play a game tonight in Charlotte, but it's against the Carolina Panthers team that also lost in week one to the Rams 30-27, to a game where they had three turnovers, a couple fumbles, and an interception uh, as well by Cam Newton. Uh, needless to say, there are no easy games in the NFC South or even in the NFL for that matter, but do the Bucks need a win here? Absolutely, because after tonight's game, they're looking at a home game against the New York Giants and then begins that gauntlet of games where they will not be home from September 22nd until November 10th. So this is a chance to uh, get back even, a chance to win a division game, and it won't be easy. Uh, as far as you know, the Carolina Panthers go, I'm still not convinced that Cam Newton is all the way back. And, and the reason I say that is, you know, he banged up his ankle in training camp. He missed some time there. He's coming off shoulder surgery. Against the Rams, he did not. I don't think he threw a pass more than 20 yards. That doesn't mean he can't. But, uh, you know, most people thought he'd thrown the ball pretty freely and looked different uh, this year after the shoulder surgery repaired, you know, whatever problem he was having. But he's not running the football as much, and that's always been one of his biggest weapons is that, you know, defenses don't really account for the quarterback as far as running the football goes. I'll tell you what, the guy that's doing it all for the Carolina Panthers, and I wrote about him today in the Tampa Bay Times, is Christian McCaffrey. You know, this guy is a workhorse like nobody's business. I mean, he actually played 100% of the offensive snaps in that game against the Rams. So I'm 67 snaps. Now, 
you know, he had been playing last season over 91. He had like over 91% of their snaps as it was. But for a running back to never come off the field, and on top of that, I mean, the guy was pretty much their whole offense. You know, he ended up with uh, 19 carries for 128 yards and had 10 receptions for 81 yards. So 29 touches for Christian McCaffrey, which means that he's getting hit a lot. He's, uh, you know, obviously, you know, in great shape. But you wonder what toll that would take. Of course, if you multiplied that throughout a 16-game season, it seems almost impossible that he could have that many touches. But as, you know... Ron Rivera noted, look, uh, he doesn't want to come off the field. And quite frankly, we want to keep the ball in his hands. You know, they don't have as many playmakers as they've had in the past, but they do have enough. They got Curtis Samuel, who's a really good wide receiver. Of course, Greg Olson, the veteran tight end, still a favorite target of Cam Newton. And Newton, um, who can still do it with his, with his legs if he chooses to. So this will be a tough test for the Bucks defensively, even though I thought they played really, really well against the San Francisco 49ers. But Steve, this is a different football team that they're facing on uh, Thursday night. Yeah, I would think, you know, I mean, San Francisco, you know, last year, of course, they're picking in the top five or six picks in the draft, or actually number two mm-hmm. when they got Nick yeah. Bosa. They didn't have a good season last year. Part of that was Jimmy Garoppolo getting hurt. And with him back, you expect them to be better this year. But that's not sure. a team you're expecting to contend for anything. Carolina should contend for the NFC South or has a, has a chance to. I think New Orleans is still the, the head of the class there, but – you know, anytime you've got Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey, you know, what a stud he is as a running back. Oh, yeah. and, and and a receiver, too. I mean, that's a, he's a complete running back. He can do everything, which is what makes it even harder to defense. Um, you know, yeah, this is going to be a tougher test. And, and I think, you know, I think Carolina's defense is tougher as well. Yeah, I think they are. And, of course, you know, we haven't even touched on what's going to be something to watch, the game within the game and the drama that's unfolding between Gerald McCoy uh, now with the Carolina Panthers, of course, you know, the Bucks decided to release him. He still had time on his contract. Um, after nine seasons, they didn't want to pay him the $13 million. Some disparaging things were said to him. Didn't have much communication with uh, really the Bucks organization at all. And then he got his release uh, sort of late in May, but still managed to find a team. And he goes to an NFC South rival, I think, personally in part because he wanted he wanted to play against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, you know, he was interviewed in the locker room uh, up there in Carolina yesterday, uh, and he said some things which don't don't surprise me about Gerald, because if there's one thing I know about Gerald is he doesn't really wear the black hat very well. <laughs> I mean, he you know there was a lot of fans, of course, from Tampa that were coming after him about some of the comments he made. Um, you know, he obviously was put off by the fact that as soon as he left Tampa Bay, they gave his number 93 away to Indomitian Sue, who's here on a one-year contract, much like he is in Carolina. He didn't understand that, you know, and, and you know, kind of compared it um, himself to, you know, sort of players in the ring of honor currently like Mike Allstott or Derek Brooks or John Lynch. And that's when Warren Sapp checked him and said, whoa, 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 last time I checked you weren't a legendary Buccaneer. Uh, what are you talking about? You know, you're not one of the legends anyway. You're great. You're a good player, maybe even a great player, but you weren't a legend. Um, so all of this has kind of been the back and forth. And then, you know, on, uh, you know, sort of on Tuesday when he got a chance to speak to the media up there for about a half hour, um, he kind of, he kind of tried to, to bridge himself back a little bit, uh, you know, to the, to the Tampa Bay fans. Not, not that he, you know, he's all in with Carolina and he's actually looking forward to being, you know, a division rival, but let's face it, it's going to be weird for him because he was here nine seasons here comes a team, the only team he ever played for. 
Um, you know, all those teammates and guys he's close to. He said he texted, uh, sent a text to Jameis Winston after that, you know, horrible San Francisco game. Told him to keep his head up. That the media was, uh, you know, going to bash him. And I don't know what that's all about. Um, you know, said he talked to Mike Evans as well. Um, and you know, so he stills in con- he's still in contact with these guys, uh, and yet he's going to oppose them. Now, the biggest news that he broke was that he made it clear. He says, look, I'm going to retire a buck. I'm going to be a buccaneer when I retire. I've already talked to ownership about this. Um, they're on board. So whether it's after this season, um, if I stay here, if I go somewhere else and play a couple more years, whenever my career is over and I say I'm done, I retire, uh, I will come back and whatever they do, sign a one-day contract or 10-hour, whatever it is, uh, and, and actually you know retire as a buccaneer. And, of course, I fully expect him one day to be in the in the team's ring of honor. I think he's achieved that, um, you know, even though the teams he played on really only had two winning seasons. Again, it's a team game. But, you know, Gerald McCoy sort of, uh, you know, kind of trying to get back in the good graces, not, not wanting to be disliked necessarily. He did say he wished this game was in Tampa so the fans would boo him. Um, and, again, not that he thinks he has a bad relationship with fans because – we know there are many people that like Gerald McCoy, um, but he, he it, would, it would sort of hype, hype up a little bit the fact that this is a division rival, um, and you know he, he might need that internally to be motivated. But I'm telling you, if Gerald McCoy can summon anything from his youth, um, if he can have a one more good game in his career, I can bet you that he wishes it would be on this one, on this stage, national television, um, you know, in his first first chance to play the Bucks. Uh, and that he would just absolutely eat alive Alex Kappa or whoever else they put in front of him and spend the night, you know, knocking down Jameis Winston. That would be his dream. Um, so it's going to be something to watch. And on the other side, Indomitian Sue is going to want to prove that the Bucks made the right decision because he knows that, you know, Carolina's number 93 is going to be motivated. So he has to find a way, you know, to raise his game as well. So this could easily be, you know, the best game that we see from out of Indomitian Sue, who was okay the first game, I mean, he made big stop on third and one, and he was physical, and him and, you know, Vita Vea together were d- definitely a handful, and it's one of the reasons why, you know, San Francisco really had no success running the football. They averaged just 3.1 yards per carry, which you'd take every single game and, and be one of the top teams, you know, against the rush in the league if you could do that. So um, a very interesting subplot. The game within the game is to see, you know, sort of how McCoy and how, and Damakong Sue impact this football game, and I'm going to look forward to that matchup. And finally, Jameis Winston needs to play better. Um, we've already gone through the whole exercise of you know documenting his interceptions. He had three of them last week, one off of O.J. Howard's hands. Okay, not his fault. Uh, another one, you know, in the flat, you know, sort of on a hitch route to his running back, you know, who Peyton Barber, who I guess – depending on which day you talk to Bruce Arians, either did the right thing or ran the, the route too deep and Jameis was right, in any case, resulted in a pick six for Richard Sherman. And then the one that no one can excuse is, of course, you know, with two minutes, 11 seconds to go, uh, two-minute warning timeouts on the board and needing to just drive his team down, score a touchdown, and win the game, which is pretty much how every game in the NFL sort of ends. Uh, Jameis Winston on first down throws the interception on a screen pass when Dari Ngumbawale got hung up. Um, by the linebacker in that play, and it's a pick six, and that that was your ball game. So Jameis uh, got a lot of negative attention, not just locally, not just from me, um, but also nationally. You know, people 
continuing to read about his turnovers, which has been a problem, you know, since before he even got to Tampa Bay. That was, you know, sort of the the MO that he had at Florida State, despite winning a Heisman Trophy and a national championship. He was a guy who was prone to turn it over. So he did it three times in the first game. The Bucs had four turnovers overall because Howard had another fumble. You can't turn the ball over on the road, folks. Um, you can't do it in any game, but you certainly can't lose the turnover battle four to two as the Bucks did at home. So if they go to Carolina and they're not careful with the football, uh, this could get ugly, much like it did last year. That was one of the worst games that the Bucks had. Of course, it was, you know, uh, a terrible defense and not Todd Bowles' defense, but, you know, I mean, whether it was Curtis Samuel or, or, or McCaffrey, all those guys were getting the perimeter. They were running reverses. They were running, you know, uh, screens and, and, you know, all kinds of motion and things to get, you know, the Bucks to over-pursue. And it'll be interesting because, you know, you have Devin White now on the Bucks side at Mike Linebacker. What role will he play in sort of matching Christian McCaffrey, at least out of the backfield on swing passes and things like that? When he lines up, as a wide receiver, they're going to have to use a safety or, or a defensive back to cover him because he's too fast and too good of a route runner for a linebacker. So it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting. But, but Jameis Winston, rest assured this. Look, he may not win this football game. In fact, I picked the Bucks to lose. I'm, I'm, they make me pick these games. I don't want to pick them. Um, but I did pick them to, uh, to lose this football game, probably by a touchdown maybe um, on the road. But – at the end of the day, Jameis cannot be the reason they lose this game. For Jameis's sake, for the sake of Bruce Arians being here, you know, to be the quarterback whisperer, to be the guy with Byron Leftwich and Clyde Christensen, to begin to turn this quarterback into what they hoped he would be when they drafted him five years ago, Jameis Winston needs to play a good game. He needs to be the reason why they have a chance to win and not be the reason ultimately that they that they, you know, put the nail in the coffin and lose, much like he did in the opener against San Francisco. So let's see if he can bounce back. Traditionally, he has done that. I think the one thing that the Bucks can maybe hang their hat on a little bit is that they found something in week one, and that was Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones ran like a beast. He ran hard. Um, he picked up first downs when you know they were you know, third and longs. Um, he looked fast. He looked physical. And I think his confidence is pretty high. He averaged like 5.6 yards of carry in that game. So if he can build on that from week one, then I think the Bucks will be more balanced. It'll take pressure off, of course, the passing game. And everybody now, whether it's the wide receivers, Chris Godwin, you know, Mike Evans hopefully will feel better. He's you know, a few more days after that uh, battle with a virus. Um, hopefully these guys will be bigger factors in this game, and they'll get the ball to those tight ends and to those wide receivers because, frankly, half the passes that Jameis threw were to his running backs, and that's really not – um, what he does well, and you need some explosive plays in the passing game. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, that's, that's the only thing you can say. I don't have a lot of confidence that you know, the Bucks will go into Carolina, but they need to. They need to come out of there with a win. Carolina knows that they don't want that, that stat trotted out any more than the Bucks do about what happens when you're 0-2 and you're very low to almost you know, pointless uh, odds of making the playoffs at that point. I think Carolina's the last team to do it, by the way, to start 0-2 and make the playoffs, so they know their way out of it. But it would be a tough start for the Bucks, especially with just the one more home game against the Giants next uh, a week from Sunday, and then uh, then it's on the road, you know, for all those, uh, what, seven weeks or so before they come back November 10th. So big game for the Bucks, Carolina, Thursday night football. I think we got uh, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck up there. It's going to be a uh, big broadcast. So uh, this is the only national TV game that the Bucks will play unless – 
the nation wants to wake up, you know, and watch them play at 9.30 in the morning in England against the same team, Carolina, <laughs> in a few weeks. But um, this is uh, this is their, their cameo. And, and when the lights come on, Jameis usually, you know, gets up for those as well. So that's what we have going on tonight. We also uh, have uh, the Rays will continue their series against the uh, Texas Rangers. Of course, they had uh, a big 11-inning win the other night against the Rangers. As we do this podcast, they are uh, playing this evening, so we don't know the result of that game yet. So that'll be uh, interesting to see if they can keep pace in the American League and keep that number one wildcard spot there. And we got nothing to talk about except college football this weekend. Not a great slate of college games. You forgot one quick thing. The Lightning are opening training camp today. Ah, that's right. Their media day in that without Braden Point, who's still unsigned as a restricted free agent. Now, there's several around the league that have not signed as RFAs. Right. Now, that's not a surprise in in that the market hasn't really begun to sort of pop, right? I I mean, it'd be nice to have him there, but the fact that he's not the Lone Ranger holding out it is. Um, now, Zach Wierenski of the Blue Jackets signed a bridge deal last week, I believe, a three-year deal, which means you sign less term, less money, and then you get your big deal in the back end is the theory. Nikita Kucherov did that um, before signing this big deal. There was thought that maybe that would start the chain reaction of these RFAs signing. It didn't. So yeah. you still got guys like Mitch Marner and Patrick Laine uh, that haven't signed as well. So not surprising per se, although – you know, I think there was a lot of hope that the Braden Point deal would be done before training camp so that he could be here at the start of training oh, camp with his teammates. But I don't think it's anything to panic about yet. Yeah, don't panic yet. We'll let you know when to panic. Uh, <laughs> but panic time has not hit. But, I mean, you know, I did notice that, and I'm, if I'm wrong about this, tell me, that, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning always have the uh, uh, sort of the, the posters or the, or the faces on mm-hmm. uh, Emily Arena, and that so far, at least... Braden Point is not among them. Well, when you're not signed, it's kind of hard to, to go ahead and put those up. I mean, you know, there That's is a right. ch- there is a chance Braden could say I'm not playing, and you know, I want whatever the deal is. Yeah, um, yeah. it's happened before, and I think you've got till some in, in December or whatever to sign him. Otherwise, you can't sign him for the rest of the season. I believe is how it works. But I don't envision it getting to there based on what Braden's teammates have said, based on the type of person we believe Braden to be. And the organization, I don't think they'll let it get that far, but you never know. So if you're marketing it, you kind of have to plan for that. Well, we'll watch that situation closely. Let's talk a little football now, college football with Times. College football writer Matt Baker joins us now. Matt, let's look back a little bit before we look forward. You were at last week's uh, thrilling Florida State overtime win against always tough Louisiana Monroe. I say that with uh, tongue-in-cheek, but what is going on? I mean, what is going on with Willie Taggart's team? They get up on teams, and then, I mean, if not for a shank eponymous on, you know, in an extra point in overtime, they may still be playing. Well, I don't think they'd still be playing because I think ULM would have won. I yeah, mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's that simple. I mean, there are so many issues with FSU right now. It's, it's frankly getting to the point of astounding. I mean, they... It was one thing to, to blow a pair of 18-point leads against Boise State. Boise State's right. a really good team. They have, mm-hmm. They're an established program. Yes, they're a group of five, but no, they can hang with just about anybody. They've, we've seen that over the years. So it's one thing to do it to Boise. It's another thing to do it to Louisiana, you know, to, to, to Louisiana Monroe. They have one, count them, one winning season this century. They are a mediocre Sunbelt team. Not even a good Sunbelt team, a mediocre Sunbelt team. Doesn't have a, a you know, it's not like they've got a superstar quarterback or anything like that. No, what what happened is just FSU 
went up early, went up 21 nothing. kind of, I think, used off a little bit, or I mean, it was either that, or I suppose ULM made some adjustments that FSU didn't respond to quickly enough, and then, uh, you know, Seminoles kind of choked it away. Uh, I mean, I can, I can talk about this for a really long time, Rick, just because it's so astounding that this is the way it is. I mean, but FSU, you know, we have two games of a, a sample size so far this season. Both times they've gotten up big. Both times they've choked away leads, which tells me that the whole being able to handle adversity, which is what Willie talked about a lot this offseason, they're not doing that particularly well. And I think in some ways even what's more astounding is the way that FSU's run defense is just getting gashed. I mean, the Boise running back had like 5.8, 5.9 yards per carry in week one. Louisiana Monroe's top running back averaged almost five yards a carry last week. That, that's a situation where I don't know if it's scheme. I don't know if it's personnel. I don't know if it's effort or some combination thereof. But FSU is getting gashed defensively by teams that are inferior to them or, or in the case of Boise, you know, maybe may comparable. And that's a major issue, major issue. Yeah, I don't know if it's they can't handle adversity or that they can't handle prosperity with these blown leads. So that's sort of been the deal. What was weird, and you wrote about this in the Tampa Bay Times, is that I think for a lot of coaches they would uh, maybe be a little embarrassed. They would be perhaps uh, admonish their team after a game like that against an opponent such as Louisiana Monroe. Instead, Willie Taggart kind of celebrates the victory. What was with that? Yeah, I mean, celebrate was the word he he used in his his opening uh, his opening statement of the press conference. I expected him to come in pretty upset, just because I've seen that from coaches before. That the main one that jumps into my mind, game two of the Jim McElwain era. You know, he comes in. They had just beaten East Carolina, not very good ECU team, and he was irate. He, he said it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing for the university. It was embarrassing for the administration. And then as we tried to ask questions, he kept going and said, we should be embarrassed for having to write about it. That's how mm. upset he was with, with a, a bad performance and, and a win, mind you, and a win. Um, and, and I totally get it because he was trying to set a tone that what's happened here in the past isn't going to fly. There are reasons, you know, there's a new coach in town. This is the way we're going to do things now. The way we did things then is unacceptable. But, but Willie, that's not the tactic he took. You know, he, he came in and, and, as you said, he wanted to, he said, to, well, celebrate this one for 24 hours and then move on. And that's a coaching cliche I've heard a zillion times. High school, college, NFL doesn't matter. But the fact that he was saying that after they needed a missed extra point and overtime to beat Louisiana Monroe kind of made my ears perk up. But, uh, you know, I went back and looked, and that's kind of Willie's MO, I think, to some degree. He's relentlessly upbeat and positive for the most part. Uh, even after some ugly wins that we, we saw that with what the way he handled some of those comparable victories when he was at USF. And I think some of it too, is he knows this is a, this is my word, not him his, but FSU is kind of a fragile team and a fragile program right now. They couldn't handle adversity good or bad last year through two games so far. It doesn't look like they are able to handle adversity good or bad, particularly well this year. And, and I think he's wants to focus on the positives, which is that, yeah, it was ugly, but it's better to be walking in after a win than walking in after a loss. I think he's trying to be positive there and build on it. And I know some of the fan base wasn't happy about it. I don't know how his team took that because there's still a lot of proud guys in that locker room, but that's the MO that. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Of Willie, and that's the, the path you chose Saturday. Yeah, I think he's almost at this point trying to grasp anything positive because there's uh, so much swirling around that's not good about Florida State right now. They go to Virginia, and I, you know I don't know a lot about the Virginia football program right now. I will say that uh, they are a Power 5 team in the ACC, and if you're talking about you know having played Boise and Louisiana Monroe, this would seem to be a step up in class. They start the ACC schedule, so now how do they how do they handle this team? This is not the Virginia team of old. This is a pretty good Virginia team. I mean, it's kind of crazy just to think how things have changed. Bronco Mendenhall, the, the Cavaliers coach, said, I think it was last summer, that he had something like 25 ACC caliber guys on his roster. Um, and now here they are a year later. They are a top 25 team in my mind, Every you know, completely deserving of it. I think they might be the favorite in the ACC Coastal right now. Uh, Bryce Perkins, their quarterback, is a very good runner. He's a very good uh, quarterback, period. But he is especially a very good runner at that position, which is something FSU hasn't, you know, uh, they haven't had to do that a, a ton yet this year. So he adds a different wrinkle, certainly, than Hank Bachmeyer, the, the Boise quarterback, did. Um, and I think he'll be the best quarterback they've faced. And there's some guys defensively, too. I mean, Bryce Hall, the, the other really good Bryce on the team, has drawn some buzz as a potential first-round uh, draft pick at cornerback. So this is a good Virginia team. And one thing we know, I, I hate to use a kind of another cliche here, but uh, Bronco Mendenhall's a really good coach. He's going to get the most out of those guys, and he's going to have them certainly in position to make plays. And given what we've seen from FSU so far, there will, might be a lot of plays uh, that, that the Cavs have potential to make. I guess if there is a positive, uh, Matt, it's that Florida State is scoring points, right? I mean, there are some teams, and we'll get to one in a minute with USF, that can't do that. So I don't know if they can shore up their defense, their run defense in particular, as you mentioned, and just be, you know get the ability to finish games correctly. But in as much as you know, they can throw and catch the football and run it, they're putting up points, right? They're putting up points early, and then they're stalling. And yeah. that, that tells me a couple of things. It tells me that their system can work because it is working. It also right. tells me either there's adjustments they're not making or there's adjustments the other team is making because there's got to be some reason why it, it switches, where, where they go mm -hmm. up and score on their first three drives and, and both games, I think it was, and then kind of stutter a little bit after that. So yeah. it, it can work, and there are reasons to be optimistic. I mean, Cam Akers is... I mean, he's a stud. He's a dude. Mm -hmm. um, he's finally kind of come back to the form that that we and everybody else saw from him when during, when his freshman season, when he broke Dalvin Cook's freshman rushing record at FSU. I mean, he, he leads the country in uh, yards from scrimmage, playing every bit like a five-star guy. I mean, <laughs> FSU's game plan there at the end of regulation, you know, he, he had the, the go-ahead touchdown run, which was just a screen, hey, Cam, do your thing. And then on their last kind of last gaps, gasp drive in overtime, or at, excuse me, at the end of regulation, screen to Cam Akers, screen to Cam Akers. It's like, hey, go try and break something. And that was the game plan. And it wasn't a bad call, by the way, but that's certainly 
what they thought they could do. So he's playing out of his mind and really one of the very few bright spots on this FSU team right now. A good place to start. Meanwhile, USF, uh, they had their second Power 5 opponent in Georgia Tech. They went to Atlanta, and they lose to Georgia Tech in a close game, but again, the offense is just not there. Um, You know, I thought Kerwin Bell would be a big difference in that football team. Now, Matt, they're contemplating a quarterback change and moving on from Blake Barnett. Um, Where are the Bulls right now? Um, Just searching for for help, or is it the offensive line that's kind of getting their quarterback into trouble? I think the offensive line isn't helping, but I think there's, I mean, you don't start as bad as poorly as the bulls did without a bunch of reasons for it. Um, mm-hmm. The offensive line isn't helping, but you know, Blake Barnett's a really talented quarterback, so it, it can't all be on him. I, I don't think that's the case at all. I, I'm, you know, I expect them as of, as we're recording this, USF hasn't announced what they're going to do at quarterback. And, and I wouldn't right. be surprised if they don't announce it. Um, until game day, but I would expect mm-hmm. Jordan McLeod to, to get the opportunity just because he looked, he provided a little bit of a spark there against sure. Georgia Tech in the, the losing effort. I think sometimes, too, you need to, if, when you're struggling, you need to make a change like that just to try something different and kind of keep your program engaged and keep fans engaged as well. Yeah, I mean, Jordan McLeod gives him uh, a little bit more in the, in the running aspect of things, too, I, I suppose. Now, they play South Carolina State. That should not be a difficult game for them. But, again, looking for a win, any kind of win. Um, at this point, Matt, they I mean, if you combine what they did at the end of last year, this is sort of a continuation of that in some respects. Is USF even going to have a winning season? I mean, their conference, you know, part of the schedule begins, I guess, a week later against UConn, who isn't a particularly great team. But, I mean – I mean, Charlie Strong could be looking at a losing record this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, yeah. we, you, you say, you, you say uh, yes. I'm surprised by that. I don't, I mean, look, well, I, I don't, so I was asked this question the other day and I didn't know quite how to answer it. Although I, I gave Florida state, somebody asked me, I was on television, I was on spectrum and they said, which, uh, you know, which team is more likely to have a winning season, Florida state or USF. And I thought about it for a while and I thought, uh, uh, I'll take Florida State just because they can score points, I guess. But maybe USF is in a weaker conference. But I, I mean, both programs right now are kind of feeling their way around. I, I just—they have to get over a top and just—if they just win a game, maybe, maybe that gives them a good feeling. But there could be structural problems with that USF team that we're we're just now starting to see. Yeah, so there's there's a lot there. First of all, you, you being on TV, I like that little humble brag there, Rick. Um, That's a weekly <laughs> thing, Matt. So you know, Tuesday nights. Oh, of course, I'll I'll, I'll start tuning in. Um, Absolutely. We were talking about football, weren't we? Um, so yes. the, the FSU USF winning record thing is interesting. Um, I think right now the answer is neither. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, look, FSU, FSU barely beat a mediocre <laughs> Sun Belt team. I can't get that out of it's, my head. Like I, I'm not, a, I'm not a true. gambling, I'm not a gambling guy, Rick. But we do our our pickums at Tampa TampaBay.com. My, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a spoiler alert here. My plan the rest of the year until FSU proves to me otherwise, I'm going to pick against them. Certainly against the spread. I, I, I just okay. don't, I just don't have any confidence in them because I haven't seen anything through the first mm-hmm. 14 games of the Willie Taggart era to give me any confidence in them. Okay. Um, so, USF? But, well, USF, they, 
again, I don't feel great about their bowl chances either. I think given the two, FSU has a slightly better chance just because this schedule is a little bit yeah. friendlier. You know, they ha- they do have a lot more talent still than most everybody they play, Clemson and okay. Florida aside. Um, okay. And, you know, Louisville's is, is still a mess. Uh, I'm not saying the Knowles are going to win that game in two weeks, but I also not marking that down as an L. There's a lot of toss-ups there that I still think FSU in theory, could win versus when I'm looking at the USF schedule. Yeah, South Carolina State, they should win, but I'm not guaranteeing anything for them right now. UConn oh. is, is atrocious. That should should still be a win. Um, then, again, looking at the end of it, UCF is pretty good. Memphis is a top 40 team. Cincinnati, I still think, is a top 40 team. Mm-hmm. Then you got you know at Navy, which is always tricky for a number of reasons. BYU just beat Tennessee. So, like... Yeah. Could they make it to a bowl out of that? Yeah, I suppose so. But it doesn't. They're going to have to really get their act together fast and hope that the the last two games were flukes rather than uh, real testaments to who they are. Oh boy, that's going to be a long year continuing for USF. Florida, of course, had no trouble with Tennessee Martin. That's not a surprise. But now they're uh, back on the road in the SEC at Kentucky. Kentucky has been a tough place to play, but they've always beaten Kentucky, um, or so it seems, until, recent, until recently. <laughs> yeah, until the streak was broken a year ago. Um, but uh, do they get back on top of the Wildcats and, and start rolling again? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, th- this, is a, this is a different Kentucky team. Well, let's start there. Yeah, you know, Terry Wilson, sure. their starting quarterback, uh, who beat them last year, just you know, da- went down with a knee injury. He's out for the year. So that's mm-hmm. part one. Part two, Benny Snell, their All-America caliber running back last year. He's in the pros now, so he's gone. And then uh, Josh Allen, you know, standout pass rusher for Kentucky, uh, their best defensive player last year. He's gone, too. So you, you lose your best offensive player from a year ago, your best defensive player from a year ago, too. It's a very different Wildcat team. And I think what's, what I'm really interested to see is how different is this Florida team? You know, because it's a lot of the same personnel. Obviously, they ha- they lost some guys on the line of scrimmage, lost some some you know, important contributors on the defensive line too. But I want to see just how much better Felipe Franks is in a in a big kind of road environment test for him. I want to see how much better the team is in kind of you know I don't want to say the whole handling adversity thing, but last year they went into Kentucky. I, I would say they exceeded confident and went into the level of cocky. And that came back to bite them. So I want to see how they're going to handle kind of the mental thing. If they were to go up, you know, by a score or two early, what happens then? Do they kind of put, you know, take their foot off the gas or do they keep going for the jugular against these guys? So I just want to see how much Florida has really changed since the uh, historic loss to UK last year. I'll spare you the other big game in the SEC. Of course, Arkansas State is at Georgia, but we all know what's going to happen there. The Red Wolves are on a roll now. They're one and one, Matt. So had to get that in. Yeah, we, we, I think we all know what's going to happen there, Rick. We all know that one. <laughs> unfortunately, that's true. Um, let me ask you about a couple other things that went on uh, just last week. And uh, one of them, and I watched this game, and, and, and I felt it was weird because I felt bad. But, you know, Army lost to Michigan in a game that they deserved to win. Yep. Um, and, and, and Jim Harbaugh's team – is just looks pathetic offensively. Number one, now Army's a tough team to play. You know they they play ten yards at a time. You keep they keep the ball away from you. But man, when you consider the expectations that that is gone on in Ann Arbor since Harbaugh has been there, and the way that, the way they are playing, I don't know where you rank them in your your 
a particular top 25 poll. Um, but that that was a brutal showing by Michigan. They were lucky to win that game. They were. I, I was watching that one in the in the press box in, in Tallahassee. Just you know, I think we were all kind of glued to. I think they only had it on one TV, so a bunch of us were gathered around it, watching, sure. just kind of in awe of it. Now I, I dropped Michigan to 13th on my top 25. Okay. I don't. I, I could justify moving them up or down a little bit, but here, here's the thing on Harbaugh. Um, a couple years ago, before Florida opened with him. I wrote something about how so far he's been kind of more sizzle than steak. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't disagree with what I wrote. I stand behind it, but I didn't feel that strong about it either, if that makes sense. But, mm-hmm. but since then, I feel a lot better about it because for all the the Harbaugh mania with the, the camps at IMG and the summer trips to to Europe and and the slumber parties and all that stuff that he's done, he's gotten so much attention to be a pretty good coach. Uh, by by Michigan standards, you know he's not he hasn't been terrible. They haven't been running him out of town, but he hasn't been winning championships. I mean, his, the, the last huge game that he had, uh, the Gators beat the crap out of him in Atlanta. He hasn't, you know, the, the, so far the he has his production has not matched the hype. And I'm curious to see if that will change because this is a, a Big Ten this year where it could. Because let's face it, the Ohio State is breaking in a first time head coach in Ryan Day. Now, Wisconsin maybe looks like the, the number two or number three team in the, in the league right now, but Michigan overall has better has more talent and better players. And Penn State, you know, loses uh, Trace McSorley, one of their, their better quarterbacks in recent memory, and kind of rebuilding there with a, still a, a pretty darn good roster. So this is the Big Ten that I, I still see as, as ripe for the taking, and the, the, the win against Army was not something that made me think that Michigan's finally going to break through this year. Yeah, it's really surprising because he's an offensive coach, and that's sort of the way they've been struggling, obviously, scoring points uh, at Michigan. Uh, Tennessee goes to 0-2. I don't know what we can do to uh, to help the Vols out, but uh, that program is pretty much to rocky top to rocky bottom here, right? See what I did My there with that? God, oh, nice. I, I yeah, did. Uh, Spurrier, Spurrier had a line like that, too. Um, ah. They're just they're just so bad, Rick. It's it's We, we talk about, you know, Florida State being atrocious. Tennessee is is worse. I think one of the more one of the crazier parts was their head coach Jeremy Pruitt. I don't know if you saw this. Said something at a Knoxville Touchdown Club Monday about how, um, you know, like on a Titanic, all the the mice kind of run to the top of the boat to to, to stay on and keep fighting. <laughs> Going to see who, who oh, can still do that. So, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I, wow. I, I, got some, I got some news about what's going to happen to the mice on the Titanic, Rick. Um, I don't think they're going to make it. And I don't think Jeremy Pruitt is going to make it either at this point. I, I had, you know, I had some skepticism when he was hired. You know, yeah, obviously he was, a, you know, did very well in his career as an assistant, won a national championship at 13 with Jimbo at FSU, great job at, at Bama and everything else. But I didn't know that he was ready. I didn't know that he could... Again, X's and O's, I think he's a very good coach, but program building and all that stuff that you need to do, I'm not sure he was the guy to make it. But the Vols coaching search was the dumpster fire to end all dumpster fires. I mean, it looked like uh, your your old buddy Greg Shiano was going to get the job, and then uh, Mike Leach, who would have been awesome for any number of reasons. I I don't care about football here, but I would love to have Leach (laughs) in the SEC. And then that Mm -hmm. didn't happen, and then... You know, like Dave Dorn from NC State, that didn't happen. And, and finally, they come up with Jeremy Pruitt. And so far, his tenure has been 
a disaster and they they host or they come to, to Gainesville next week. I'm already looking ahead to uh, to writing a story about what the hell has happened in Knoxville and why are they so very, very bad. Yeah, if you can figure that out, they may hire you as a head coach. Nick Saban will, was at I it. will take that job in a heartbeat, Rick. I want <laughs> sure. that buyout. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's why no one can get fired these days, including a guy at Florida State. Um, the, uh, the Alabama program is in good hands, of course, with Nick Saban. As always, they beat always uh, willing to uh, take a check, New Mexico State, 62-10. to 10. But after the game, Nick Saban got back on his soapbox uh, when it seemed that his fans were not as all impressed and started to leave early, and he got mad about that and uh, was also got into the subject of scheduling. And, he, you know, obviously there's not everybody wants to go play Alabama and get their brains beat out. That's understandable. But he has proposed, Matt, uh, that the Power 5 teams be mandated to schedule 12 Power 5 games and as many as 10 conference games per year. Currently the SEC plays eight games in the conference so what do you make about his proposal? Is there something to be said for these, you know, inevitably two or three weeks a year that, you know, there's just no excitement at all, no chance for these teams coming in and playing some of these Power 5 schools? So my first thought is, yeah, of course Nick would want that because that would benefit his team. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, the team with the most talent is going to win most of the time. Well, right. I got some news for you. Bama, generally speaking, is going to have the most talent in almost every game they play. So, yeah, I, I would think that because that gives you a, a bigger advantage. Um, and, and odds are over a 12-game season, that you, you would come out quite well. Um, so that's my first thought. My, my second thought is this, it's an interesting idea just from the attendance standpoint. We, we've talked about how college football attendance nationally is down. And some of sure. it is, yeah, I don't want to spend my hard-earned money to go sit out in the sun on a 95 degree get day in Tuscaloosa to see them beat the crap out of nobody state. I, I, I don't want to do that. And, and, and a lot of people are, are showing they don't want to do that by the empty seats. The, the other, so I completely understand it. And as a, you know, somebody who writes about it for a living, I want to watch good games. I, I'm not particularly thrilled about when, when a couple weeks when the Gators play Towson, trying to, to write a ton about that one. Um, I, so I want to see good, interesting games like everybody else. Here's the other side of that equation, which is there, there's a big kind of – the college football food chain is a real thing. You know, Bama, like you said, they're going to pay $1 million, $1.5 million, whatever it is to play some of these teams. But that gives those teams a lot of money to fund scholarships, to fund their facilities, which gives all those opportunities for you know, New Mexico State's 85 players on scholarship. And then the two with some of the one double A's that they're doing it, you know, I was talking with a Tennessee Martin coach last week. I think they got half a mil from from the Gators. That's a lot of money for that program, which then funds helps fund their scholarship and their opportunities, sure. which sure. funds opportunities for kids from the Tampa area and high schools all across the country to keep playing football. So if you take away those buy games, it's better for the consumer as a whole. But I don't know that it's better for the sport because you're, you know, some of the other programs at the bottom have less money, so there's fewer opportunities for guys to, to, to continue playing after high school. Those are all great points, and um, I think uh, a lot of people would agree with you that we may have to endure these for a while, but the greater good it, it definitely serves. And So what if Nick Saban's inconvenienced by a few empty seats every now and then? 
I looked at the college schedule this week. I'm not impressed by it, Matt. Maybe you can help me find some interesting games. College game day, for example, is headed to Ames, Iowa, where they have not been uh, for some time, if at all. Yeah. The Cyhawk Trophy. uh, Yeah, the big one against Iowa. So is that the game of the week? Yeah. I mean, it's a rivalry game. Um, Iowa is a top 25 team. Iowa State, I think, by the end of the year might be again. I mean, Matt Campbell's done a great job there with the Cyclones. Got off to a rough start, but they're a team to watch. And you know, some people thought them as a number three t- team in the Big 12. Yeah, it's a pretty lame week overall. I mean, just kind of looking at the schedule. I wouldn't be surprised if there's an upset or two or more than that. I mean, Maryland's a top 25 team at Temple. I'm not sold on the Terps quite yet. Um I, I'm not sure entirely what to, to make of, of Temple either, but look, college football always delivers. That's just what it does. You look at a, a lame week. This is a stat from the uh, the Bear on game day from, from ESPN. Um, it's the first weekend without a ranked matchup since uh, October of 2017. And that weekend, seven ranked teams lost, including five as favorites, and three were two-score favorites or more. Wow. wow. College football delivers something Mm. weird is going to happen probably something's weird is going to happen you know clemson plays at syracuse which uh by the way they were one of the the ranked teams that that fell that weekend without the ranked matchups a couple years ago so some weird things will happen i don't know what they're going to be if i could predict them i wouldn't be talking to you i would have been retired (laughs) from my gambling and we would be sipping a drink in tahiti or somewhere but something weird is going to happen so yeah, it's just not a great. It's not not a sexy week. Let's say that. But but the FSU Virginia game, I'm legitimately interested in because I think sure. Virginia is pretty pretty darn good, and I want to see if the Knowles can start turning things around. Um, TCU Purdue is also a 7:30 game. Purdue struggled in the in the opener, but they seemed to turn things around last week. I love Rondale Moore. There is the receiver. He's like six inches tall, but all he does is you know run around and make people miss. Extremely powerful. So, yeah, something good will happen. How's that? I like that. We can have nice things. Something good will happen. And I was 9-7 and seven against the spread in the NFL picks that they make me do. So, hey, if I continue <laughs> on this streak, I'll buy you that drink in Tahiti one day. Who knows? He's Matt Deal. Baker, and he joins us each week to talk about college football. You read him on TampaBay.com. No one does a better job writing about college football, and he joins us each week on this podcast. Thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. Not a great slate of college football games, but I know I'll be watching on Saturday night as well as I get to watch some NFL on Sunday since the Bucs are playing tonight in Carolina. We'll have a reaction on tomorrow's podcast from the Bucs-Panthers game with my buddy cop Eduardo Encina. And the Rays, of course, are wrapping up their series in Texas before they move on to L.A. to play the Angels. As we said earlier, the Lightning report to training camp today, if you can believe it, the first preseason game is on Tuesday. Hey, folks, uh, we know that your electric bill, like mine, is going up and up because it's still hot as it can be. AC's running all the time. If you want to save 90 to 95% off your electric bill, call my friends at May Electric Solar. And if you do that right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit through 2019 for switching to solar energy. Call the real May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 